Hi, this is Robert Furrow and welcome to TruthQuest Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. You can ask us any kind of questions that you want to. Uh, you can ask about current events or Bible prophecy, last days, uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, we are open to whatever questions you might want to ask. Uh, it's good to see you guys. We have our first question here that was left at a previous Q&A. So I'm going to go ahead and put that up on the screen now. So our first question has to do with John the Baptist. Uh, it says, besides Jesus, what did John the Baptist prophesy about? And so John, Jesus said of John the Baptist that among men born among women, John the Baptist was the greatest. When you, when you think of all of the men of the Old Testament, when you think of Moses, when you think of Elijah, uh, it's pretty amazing that John the Baptist is mentioned as the greatest prophet. But then he says, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greatest among you. So I want to make sure that we are, I guess we're live. Yeah, I guess we are. <laughs> All right, uh, little, little moment of panic there. Um, so he said that he who is least in the kingdom of God is greatest among you. And so um, that's the privilege that we have in the age that we live in, the church age, that we have that relationship with Christ, that we are co-heirs together with him. So John the Baptist was a prophet. And when we think of prophecies, we generally think of someone telling the future. And so John the Baptist said, make way, make straight the way of your life, um, the, the, the paths of your life. And he was prophesying about the one who was going to come. And he spoke about Jesus. But prophecy was not only telling the future, prophecy is also speaking God's word. So if you were a prophet, then you were able to give God's word. In other words, you might, it might be a word about loving God, serving God, following God. It might not be the future. So when you look back at any of the teachings that you have in the Bible of John the Baptist, or when he said to the scribes and Pharisees that came out to see him, uh, uh, who told you to flee from the wrath that's to come? All of those things would be things that a prophet was doing. As far as John the Baptist telling things about the future, I think they were connected to the coming of the Messiah and then revealing who the Messiah was when he came. So I don't know that John had any other prophecies that we know of. Of course, I mean, he had a whole life, right? And we don't know what, was, what wasn't written. We don't know what we don't know. And so we don't know the things that are written. But John was also a prophet in that Old Testament sense where he spoke for God and he was a prophet in the sense that he gave prophecies and he told the future. Uh, the Old Testament prophets would speak to Moab or to the Edomites or uh, to the land of Tyre or to the king of Tyre. And he would have prophecies for them. And it's amazing how accurate those prophecies were. So it's good to see you guys. If you have any questions, all you've got to do is write question down before your question. Write it out, reread it, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. We'll pull them in in the order that we get them. And um, again, we are open to any questions that you have about uh, prophecy, last days, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, whatever might be on your mind about Christian living, the way that we live, um, anything like that then we'll, be, we'll, we'll take your questions. So we've already got them loading up here. It's good to see you guys. Uh, great to spend some time with you. I'm gonna go ahead and bring in our first question, which is from JG. And JG says, uh, Pastor Robert, what is uh, a biblical way to deal with evil people and demons that use mind games and psychological warfare uh, to convertly harass and provoke us Christians? Um, I think, first of all, I mean, a couple of different things here, dealing with evil people and demons. So Jesus said to love those who persecute you, to do good to those who curse you. So when you're dealing with an evil person that just wants to come against you, I don't think there's anything else that we can do but rejoice in that persecution, which is what Jesus said, love them and pray for them. So that is... That's how we deal with an evil person. That person's evil, we love them, um, we do good to them, we bless them. That's what, that's what Jesus told us to do. Now, when we're dealing with demonic attacks, we've gotta know the restrictions that the enemy has, and we've gotta know 
where he can he can get to us and you know paul talked about a messenger from satan to buffet him but god allowed that and there are certain things that god will allow uh, jesus said to peter satan has asked him to sift you like wheat but i've prayed for you and when you are restored strengthen your brethren which is a whole series you go down that road satan's asking for you scary but i've prayed for you awesome and when you are restored what do you mean when i'm restored i thought you were praying for me and so there are certain things that god allows in our lives for testing sake for growth um, that the genuineness of our faith could be tested so it could be revealed to us where we are but when it comes to the enemy's power in your life jg he doesn't have much um, let me pull up um, a couple of uh, verses that i have here um, on um, spiritual warfare and our um, let's see if I can find these yeah all right a, a spiritual warfare and our ability the, the Satan's inability to be able to attack us so let me go ahead and bring you in here um, all right so um, let's see so I've got some verses here um, I want to get specifically um, let's see John first John 4 4 you are of God little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world what a great promise you're in god satan is in the world but he cannot harm you he cannot hurt you right because you're in the world um uh here you know i say unto you peter you're a rock and on this rock i'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you the promise that we have that we are going to succeed uh, Jesus said in Luke 10:19, "Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means hurt you." I love this one. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Now earlier in 1 John it had said that if we say we have no sin, that we are liars. So who who is born of God doesn't practice sin. It means that we can evaluate whether or not we've made a genuine real commitment to Christ by whether or not we are keeping his commandments and repenting from our sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But this says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. So the only way that we can allow, that the enemy can come in and attack my life is if I cooperate with him. So the next verse that I've got here is Ephesians 4, 27 and 28. Give no place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. Work with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has needs. So when I'm sinning, like, right? Let him who steals steal no, stole, steal no longer. I'm giving a place to the enemy to be able to attack me in my life. And so for that reason, I want to keep things accounts short with God. I want to keep things right with him. I want to be bold and know that, hey, as a pastor, as a leader, the enemy would like to take me out. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, but I am to resist him and he will flee from me. And the Bible also says, give no place to the devil. So all of these help us to understand uh, that we are to not allow the enemy to be able to come in uh, and, and, and attack us. Other than that, so psychological warfare, um, covertly harass, provoke. Hey, you're a child of God. You're going to be able to stand against all of these things that are taking place. Know who you are. Know what God is all about. We are not, we are aware of the schemes of the enemy. Know that the battle in the last days is over heresies, doctrines of demons, right? All right, JG. So hopefully that's helpful. Stand fast in who you are in Jesus and know that demons tremble at the name of Jesus and you are a child of God and you have been given authority over them all. All right, so we have a question here now from Albert. Albert, good to see you. Hi, Pastor, hello. Uh, good to see you, Albert. Uh, do you think it's possible that if Paul did suffer from an eye ailment, that it was the result of being blinded on the way to Damascus, like Jacob having hip trouble after wrestling with God. I, um, I think it's possible that, I know he was healed, right? That, that Annas prayed for him and he was healed. Uh, I, I think that that might be a, a possibility that God allowed some kind of a sickness or something to remain, if that indeed is the thorn in the flesh. I have a tendency to think it is, 
Paul talks about the large letters that I wrote with. Um, that's how you identify. So if he had an eye problem, he would have written in large letters. Those of you guys have trouble seeing without your glasses or without your contacts, you start writing things bigger, right? You could always tell when someone young is doing something online because everything's really tiny. They just use tiny little words because they can read them really clear. The older you get, the bigger it is, the bigger you want the letters to be. And so I think that Paul had some kind of an eye ailment. That's at least what I think. I don't know that we can know for 100%. Neither can we know 100% sure if it is something that hung on after he was struck on the Damascus Road. But it is interesting that he was struck with blindness and then he seems to have been dealing with an eye infirmity as he got older and that God gave it to him to keep him humble. Now Paul received it and accepted it because of the great calling that he had. Thanks, um, Albert. Appreciate it. Good to see you. Good to see you also, Daniel. Um, uh, we have a question here from Dan. Um, uh, uh, I love when I stutter that way. Uh, well, let's, uh, yeah, oh. all right. Uh, we have a question from Dan. Dan says, what does God say about space exploration and science? Does God get upset uh, for the quest of scientific knowledge for the, uh, the, uh, the quest of scientific knowledge as well as exploration of space? Thank you, Pastor Furrow, and God bless you. Thank you, Dan, and uh, God bless you as well. Uh, so I think that the Bible does at times venture into the realm of science, uh, but it's not a scientific book. So I think that in the book of Job, it talks about hydrology. It talks about how water pours on the mountains and then flows back down into the rivers and the ocean to, to repeat again. Um, it talks about the earth being a globe. Uh, that it, that is scientifically accurate. It doesn't talk about the earth being flat, by the way, for you flat earthers that are there. It talks about the earth being a globe in space and that is scientifically accurate. So there are certain areas in the Bible where it's scientific and, and, and scientists have criticized the Bible saying that it is not scientific because it talks about things from the perspective of men uh, about the, the earth in certain events that took place. But we do too, we do as well. We say, what a beautiful sunset. We don't say what a beautiful earth turning. We don't correct somebody. Uh, that's, excuse me, that's not really a sunset. The sun's not setting. The, the sun is permanent. The earth's spinning and moving around the sun. We don't, we don't do that to people. And so they do that to the Bible a lot when they try to criticize it scientifically. Um, I don't think there's a problem with us taking technology, science, as far as we can possibly take it to find as many, as many things to help humanity as we can possibly find. I don't know how far God's going to let us go. It's interesting to me, you know, you bring up space exploration. My greatest concern is AI. My greatest concern is um, genetic, it, it's, it's DNA um, manipulation to be able to change people genetically. So that you might be trying to make, go in and rewrite a DNA code of a baby so he's strong or for, to a woman so that, you know, she has some kind of a look to her. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about AI. Uh, and I think that God will not allow us to go so far. If you go back to the Tower of Babel, God said, now man will be able to do whatever he puts his mind to. And so God confused the languages so they couldn't communicate. I think it's possible that God was setting back that man and his advancements, that he was at a point where he was going to be able to start moving forward. Uh, the only thing that kept us from doing the kind of things that we're doing today was knowledge. If we had the knowledge and went, and went back 4,000 years, we'd be able to do 4,000 years ago what we are doing today. And so God confused the languages and I think that gave us more time. And I think that Jesus has to come back. It's one of the reasons that I believe that we're living really close to the last days. And I think that Jesus has to come back soon because we're on the brink of being able to have humans and, and a chimpanzee and a human mixture, which would be a really strong human. And I think if that were the case, hopefully you would have the soul of the human and not the soul of a chimpanzee if that was the case. But you're taking the soul, when you're cloning something, you're taking a, a, a fertilized egg and you're rewriting the DNA and you're changing it. So that's the soul of the individual. So you're not creating life, 
You're taking something that God already created and then you're manipulating that. Those kind of things are really, really scary to me. As far as um, well thought out scientific things that are done, um, I, I think we can go as far as we can go. I think we got to be careful. It's really interesting. If I remember right, um, the Will Smith movie, I Am Legend, uh, they had a cure for cancer that was a vaccine. <laughs> and then they, they gave the vaccine to everybody and turned everybody into zombies. And uh, I read the book. The book was written in like 1956. And it was actually vampires. It turned everybody into vampires. Um, but um, yeah, I think science, I don't think God, God doesn't ever say anything that I know of about us not moving forward, advancing technology, science, um, advances in, you know, robotics or space exploration would ever stop us. I think we could, we could do all of that. And I don't think that that would be a problem. All right, Dan, I appreciate your question. Thank you very much for joining us. If you have another question, let us know. All right. We have a, uh, a question here from Scott Osborne. And Scott asks if I can do a message on sacrifice. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking of, he, uh, of um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, I'm really itching as a, as a book to get back into Hebrews. I don't think I will for a while because we've just been in it. But 12, 1 and 2 um, says that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices that we may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And um, we talk about giving our sacrifices to God and what we can give to him. And um, I think there's a lot of different places in the scriptures that we can do that. So what we do at Calvary is we make our way through passages in the Bible, like so many other Calvary chapels do. And when we get to certain passages, then we talk about what's there. So we are at a point where Jesus cast tonight, our service tonight, our teaching tonight, we're at a place where Jesus cast a demon out of a mute man and it says it's a mute demon. When the demon is cast out, the mute man spoke and the people were amazed. And so I'm going to talk tonight about spiritual warfare, five things that every believer needs to know about spiritual warfare, that we don't have to be afraid what spiritual warfare is about and why Jesus ran into demonic forces and what that's all about. So as I'm moving along, I will get to a place um, where I can talk more about sacrifice and just do an entire study where I'm going over the passages in the Bible that talk about sacrifices. So thank you, Scott, for that suggestion. And it is something that I will be looking forward to. All right, we have a question from John Crow, comes to us from Facebook, has a really long question, which Facebook allows you to be able to do. So I'm gonna bring this in, it's gonna cover half my face, but I think it's good for us to be able to read it, all right? So, uh, let me go ahead and bring it in. Here we go. You guys ready? Boom. All right. So John Crow says, question. I believe there are about a hundred verses in the Bible about, um, physics, uh, oh, psychics and mediums. All right. So I think there's about a hundred verses in the Bible about psychics and mediums. I have been rejecting caution to many. Oh, I have interjecting. I have been interjecting caution too many to be careful about much how much you put into these people regardless of personal experience talking to the dead and dying comes to life etc my question is specifically about leviticus 1931 do not turn to mediums or uh, narcromancers narcromancers do not seek them out and so make yourself unclean by them i am the lord your god I have heard some say that these verses only deal with evil things, but the verse does specifically, does not specifically. Please um, comment accordingly. I would like um, also like you to comment on Corinthians about discerning spirits. All right, Joe, thank you very much. I'm gonna go ahead and, and remove this. Um, so yeah, psychics, mediums. Um, we, we, as Christians, we should stay as far away from as we can. It's just something we should not be involved in. These are things of the world. These are spiritual things that are not of God. God is the one who knows your future. God is the one that sets your future in place. Um, God is the one that we trust for what we should know, what we should do, our decisions that we make. We should be praying for him. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, I think it's 5, um, to trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. 
in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And so we put our trust in God. We, we, um, Psalms chapter one, um, it, it says, um, walk not in the, what does Psalms Psalm one say? Let me get there. Uh, figures I haven't memorized and then my memory fails me. So Psalms one, um, says, um, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So we're not to stand or sit. It's a procession, a progression there. Who walks in the counsel of the ungodly, right? That would be mediums and spirits, massively ungodly. Nor stands in the way of sinners. We don't supposed to go do what sinners do. Nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But our delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, we meditate day and night. And we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So look at this. And um, But his delight, this is the godly man's delight, is in the law of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which is a strong tree that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither, and whatever you do will prosper. The godly are not so, they are like chaff of the wind driven away. That includes psychics and mediums that we are told in the Old Testament to stay away from, and that gives us the heart of what God would want from us. And, and why would we as Christians ever go to someone that has some demonically induced spirit behind it and be involved in it? Stay away from those things. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. All right? And um, and then to talk about discerning of spirits. Get back here. Oops, that's not what I want. How about this one? Uh, then to talk about discerning of spirits. Uh, so, it's a gift of the spirit. So, when we, we are born again, the Spirit takes up residence inside of us. You cannot say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But then the Holy Spirit comes upon us and empowers us to do the work that God calls us to do. And when that happens, we receive gifts. And one of those gifts is the discerning of spirits. We all, all probably like to think that we have some gift of discernment or that we're good at discerning when we might not be. That's why we need to know what the Word of God says. Sometimes we take our feelings, we go, I feel that way, so I think that's true, when it can be radically different than what God's Word says. But there is a gift of discernment, and I've known a handful of people that have had it really well. They'll, they'll, they'll meet someone, and they'll say, there, there's a problem. Sooner or later, there is a problem. And to me, it's very close to judging that person, because I'm like, eh, hey, don't judge them, right? I mean, we don't want to judge them, but sometimes people can see that this person is not honest, that they've got ulterior motives, that they have that gift of discernment. Like I said, I like to think that I have the gift of discernment when I'm listening to someone teach a false teaching. Uh, that just may be a lot of years of studying the Bible, that when I hear someone teaching a false teaching, I know it. Um, but I like to think that I do have a gift of discernment, but discerning is when you know something about somebody and you just have a check and, and you don't want to judge them because you could be wrong right if, if you're wrong then you want to just say god i'm sorry but hey um sometimes it's good to check things out a little bit further if you have the gift of discernment god gives it to you for a reason and so you check things out a little more and um maybe you find out that that person is involved in something he shouldn't be involved in and should not be in ministry or whatever whatever the case might be or he should not be in that person's life or, or whatever the case might be. Uh, you're welcome, JG, for the answer to your question. We have a question here from Jari. I want to just say to all of you guys who are joining in new, uh, this is TruthQuest Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. If you have questions about anything, about the Bible, about something you've been wondering about, about uh, the, the last days, current events, uh, you can go ahead and, and ask those questions. Just put the word question in front of it the way that Jari did or the question mark and then I'll know it's a question. I'll be able to bring them in and we can answer your questions. All right, so question. Why did God make our bodies similar to that of monkeys? My uncle is a uh, deist and believes in science and evolution. Why is our DNA similar to, life, uh, to other life forms? Why not evolution? All right, Jari, that's a huge question, right? Uh, first of all, I believe that similarities point to a creator and not to evolution. So because there's similarities, they'll say, well, evolution came along 
there was a monkey-like creature. I'm not saying, evolutionists don't say it was a monkey that we descended from. It was a monkey-like creature. Then it descended and branched off and became monkeys and became humans and that we share common ancestors. And that's why the DNA is similar. That's what they're going to say. My response to that is, I just want some proof of that. I just want some evidence. I don't, I don't want you to tell me, you know, gosh, you're just dumb. You can't understand that happened. Give me your evidence. Give me your proof. I've been asking for this for a lot of years. I want, I want some evidence. Whether or not evolution is true. I don't want to believe a lie, right? We're on a truth quest. I don't want to believe a lie. And if you have evidence, if you could go back and find, you know, just go, go, go trace it back in, in the fossil records, which we don't have. The, the fossil records do not support evolution. And this is really important to understand. And because of that, the, the many professors and scientists have rejected trying to determine our past from the fossil records. In the fossil records, everything comes on the scene at once. And probably the fossil records are an account of the destruction of the world in a flood. All right. So um, I think that that if, if you look at a painting from Rembrandt, you can distinguish his paintings because they're similar. They're, they're distinct and they're different, but they're similar. And so you've got a creator who makes life and he makes life with DNA. And all of us are similar in that we all have DNA, but we all are different. And some DNA is closer than other DNA, just like some paintings of a famous painter are more like other paintings. And this similarity, I believe, is evidence of a creator, not evidence of evolution. And I think the differences, when you, when you look at some creatures like an octopus, which are so radically different, their brains were totally different than ours, they're radically different, are evidence of a, an amazing creator that can create in so many different ways. So I, um, I'll stand on my ground here. Um, I, I don't argue with people over the age of the earth because if God created the earth to look old, and that's what scientists see, then hey, God created it to look old. And whether or not we have on day one to a 24 hour period, God creating the heavens and the earth, which it seems like the heavens and the earth were created and then there was day one, and whether or not those are 24 hour days are arguments that, that discussions people can have within Christianity, but evolution is a completely different thing. And if evolution were proven to be true, let's just say that they were able to piece together within the fossil record, which they haven't been able to do, but let's just say they were able to do that. Where our ancestry went from, and they can do it clearly and it's undeniable, then I would say, all right, I, st I still believe God created us, but I don't believe evolution. I don't believe they can do that. I don't believe they can do it at all. And so, you know, I come back to my same argument. When I talk to someone about evolution, I come back to the same argument that I make all the time, which is like, prove it to me. Just give me proof. Give me evidence. Well, you're not smart enough to have, that's what they'll say. You're not smart enough to understand it. All right, then dumb it down for me. Hey, I, I teach something very complex, the Bible, and I'm able to get the cookies on that lower shelf. So bring the cookies for evolution down on the lower shelf. Someone said to me, I'll prove it to you. You had giraffes with all different kinds of necks. Uh, all the vegetation died short. Well, um, all the vegetation of shorter trees died. And so only long neck giraffes were able to mate until they all became long necked. Bingo, they said, evolution. Problem, that's a giraffe that adapted. And I understand genetics being passed that might give someone an advantage and those being the ones that survive, understand that, but that's adaptation. That's not evolution. That's not macro evolution. It's not, it, it didn't change from a giraffe to a whatever. It's still evolution. I mean, it's still a giraffe and therefore it's not evidence of evolution. So I am, I'm open to someone who can show me the proof of evolution because they'll talk about the evidence of evolution, but then they don't, they don't have it. When you go back and you begin to look at it, they do not have it. Um, the last book that I read was a few years ago. It was Lee Strobel's The Case for Creation. It was very good. I'm sure it would be outdated today for some of the new scientific evidences that they have. 
Um, but I think that a lot of the things that are in it would still stand and still stand really, really strong. Uh, in fact, it's another book that I would like to, to return to. I'll also tell you that evolutionists have problems with evolution. They, they, these are not people who believe in God. These are evolutionists who say evolution as we know it cannot exist. There's not enough time for one thing. The cell is too complex. Darwin said that if the human cell, this is before you could know how complex the cell was, Darwin. If the human cell is complex, then none of my theory is wrong. No one says he's wrong because the human cell was complex. It's more complex than you ever thought. And so now they say they either have to add years. The earth, you know, man has been around and has been changing for billions of years. It was so slow you can't see it in the fossil record. Or you have to say we were seeded by another planet. And here's where you come back to aliens. And there have been some, some of the, the, lately, some of the brightest scientists who will say that, they believe that aliens seeded the earth. If they have to say it's so complex and so hard that aliens seeded the earth, then, and I say it's God, which one of us doesn't look completely sound? If you say aliens did it, and I say God did it, and you laugh at me, you, you mock me for believing that God created the heavens and the earth, but you say that aliens did. And all you're doing is pushing back your time frame to give you enough time for evolution. All right. So thank you for the question, Jari. I really appreciate it. And there's my thoughts on evolution. Maybe you got a little bit more than you bargained for there. All right. So we have a question here from Diana and uh, she comes to us from Facebook. I want to welcome all you guys, by the way, that come from YouTube and Facebook. If you're on YouTube, help us reach as many people as we possibly can by hitting the subscribe button and the like button, by liking this video and by sharing this video. All of those things send metrics out to YouTube and um, they send them out and we'll be able to reach more people with the message of the gospel and, uh, and what we're doing here. All right, so we have a question from Diana. Isn't it wrong for a Christian to vote for a candidate that supports abortion and same-sex marriage? Uh, Diana, I appreciate your question. Uh, sometimes things are not as black and white as what you might think. If you have two candidates, I mean, we think of, of voting for the president of the United States and we've had in, in the last presidential election, there was no way that from a godly perspective, I could agree with both candidates. I think both candidates were wrong. Now, one of them believed that abortion was wrong. One of them believed in the same-sex same, same sex marriage. And so that's easy to vote for. For me as a Christian, the number one thing that I vote for is to save the life of a baby that's in the womb. That's the number one thing that I vote for. Um, I would myself consider it to be wrong of me to vote for anybody who believed in that. I think if the candidates came down to just candidates that, that just believed that you could destroy a baby in the womb, then I wouldn't vote. So that's what I believe. Um, but I don't think that a candidate has to have 100%, has to be in agreement 100% with the Bible and what the Bible says to be able to vote for them. Sometimes you look at the, the issues of the day, we pray, we make a decision, the best decision uh, that we can possibly make and we vote for those that we feel like are closest to what we believe. And um, yeah, I think it's problematic for sure. If you as a Christian vote for someone who believes in taking the life of a baby in a womb, sometimes even viable, we have the most, as far as I understand it, we have the most liberal laws for a woman to be able to go and stop a pregnancy, the most liberal laws. And that's tragic. And I would never vote for anybody that would go, would, would go down that line. I, my conscience would not let me do that. And I think for genuine Christians, we ought to seek a God for those kind of things. Um, Same-sex marriage, I, I, I feel the same way. I think marriage is between a man and a woman. It's the way that God said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. And the two shall cleave together and become one flesh. And um, so I would not vote for a person that didn't believe that. 
And I mean, the way, the, the way we're going, we're probably going to have to make those decisions about stepping aside and not voting. But we are not part of this world. We are passing through. I definitely want to use my vote. I want to use it the, the best I possibly can. But I also have to live with myself. And if your conscience says something is wrong, then that very thing is wrong. All right? So hopefully that answers your question. Diana, I appreciate that. If you want some more clarity, um, then you can ask another question. And I appreciate that. All right, I'm gonna bring in a question from Eddie here. Um, Eddie does have a question mark before it or a question before it, but I just identified it as a question. So I appreciate you, Eddie. If you have a question, then write the word question down in front of it and then write your question, then I'll let me be able to see it. But this question looks interesting to me. Um, what to do when you keep falling, failing your trials and test of faith time after time again? What to do when you are spiritually weak? So Eddie, I think of, um, I think of Samson, right? That just was spiritually weak, we could say. He had, he had absolutely no spiritual strength. Um, I can think of Peter falling on the night Jesus was arrested, although I wouldn't say that was continually falling time after time after time. And I think there are some Christians that are more like, let's just use Old Testament examples. Some Christians that are more like Joseph that will make the right decisions in the right time. When Mrs. Potiphar wants to sleep with him, he wiggles out of his coat and he runs out. That has earthly consequences that are bad, but it's got godly consequences that are good because God honors us when we make right decisions. And so I think that if you are a person that's struggling and you just keep seem to keep failing the test and, and when opportunity arises, you end up sinning and you repent and you do it again, you do it again. I would say that you need to grow spiritually. Your spirit is weak. Your spirit is anemic and your spirit, which wants to do the will of God, which has been born again, is not being fed and you're feeding your flesh. And so you sow to the flesh and from the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, then you're going to reap life. And so you want to do things that edify you. You want to use the freedom that you have to be able to edify you and get serious about using your spare time to be able to read things that are going to minister to you spiritually, that are going to uplift you, that are going to strengthen you, developing relationships with people that you can be accountable to, um, hanging around people that are godly instead of Christians that may be ungodly. So these are all things that you can do to strengthen that, that resolve to say, I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Samuel. I don't want to be like Samson. Samson, I, he was in a hall of faith. It seems like he made it into heaven. But man, did the guy have struggles. And I would hope that we can be that way as well. All right, Eddie. So I appreciate that. Um, I hope that you can get involved with some that can really help you. Get, get involved in your local church, right? Get close to people that are around you. There, there are areas that, that I'm not going to be able to help you with. But as you sit down and talk with people more. But I really do believe... So to the spirit, from the spirit, you reap life. And that's what we want. We want to reap life from the spirit. All right. Thank you, Eddie, for your question. I really do appreciate that. Um, uh, so, Joe, I see your question about which one I answer more. Um, I just go down my feed. And in my feed, they're both YouTube and Facebook both together. So they're put together for me. So we're, we're at the same time that we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook. And so the questions that come in, I just take the ones, I just work down and I take them. Every once in a while, I seem to miss one for whatever reason. Um, but I kind of take a look at it. So I'll tell you what I do. I mean, I kind of take a look at it to look like it's appropriate because I'm going to bring it on the screen. So if it just looks appropriate to me, I'll bring it on the screen. Sometimes I'll get questions that aren't appropriate and I'll, I'll pass by those. So just make sure that they're appropriate. I'll deal with any topic. You just got to make sure you ask it in an appropriate way. All right, because, hey, we want to make sure that we're honoring God in the way that we're asking things. All right, so Golden Truth says, hi, Pastor, uh, blessings. Thank you. God bless you, too. Is there anywhere in the Bible which talks about COVID vaccine? It's been so conflicting if we should take 
a non-FDA approved vaccine that the government is pushing so much. Yeah, um, it has been, right? And uh, it's, it's definitely been rushed. I, I know that, right? I mean, it was called Project Warp Speed. That was trying to get the vaccine out. Uh, I, I do know that the numbers for those that have taken the vaccine look good. That if they do, and there are breakthrough cases, which is too bad, and they're talking about a third dose of the vaccine now. I do know that they look good. And if you have comorbidities, especially several of them, then you probably should, should take the vaccine. Um, you can take the Johnson & Johnson if you want something that's more like a an older vaccine. Uh, the new vaccines seem to be okay at producing antibodies. Um, but you can also do some other things. Make sure you're healthy. I, I just watched a video on this last night. Um, a, a lot of the comorbidities, high blood pressure, overweight, are sometimes it's things that... that we can't help, but but for the majority of us, we can help those things. We can endeavor to be healthier. Make sure you're taking zinc. Make sure you're taking vitamin C. Make sure you're taking vitamin D. Make sure that you are as healthy as you can. Sooner or later, it seems it seems like this virus is here to stay. Sooner or later, it seems like we're going to be exposed to it. So we want to be as as healthy as we can. Um, and if you and you should personally pray, really seek God as to whether or not you should take the vaccine. I don't think that the Bible says anything about it and I don't have a problem with vaccines, right? And I don't think you do either, Golden Truth. I think the way you averted your question, um, I've had vaccines, I've taken the flu vaccine on a, on a semi-regular basis, I don't take it every year, but if I'm there, it's convenient, I took the flu vaccine. So I don't have a problem with vaccines. I have a problem with the FDA not approving it yet. I do have a problem with these things being rushed. And um, it seems like there's been some people that haven't responded well to the vaccine, but it's very, very rare that that's happened. So you have to pray, make the decision for yourself. We have the right to be able to make those decisions. I know a lot of people now are being forced or, or you know, they look at their job. You get, you, you know, you're going to, you, you're going to keep your job. You're going to have to get vaccinated. And um, I know a lot of healthcare workers are not taking it. And I've got a son who works in the healthcare field who says that's not as many as what I think. And maybe that's true. I mean, I don't know everything about this topic, um, but I do know that this disease causes some some real, real, well, it causes people to die. The, the death rate is still down, even during the spike that's taking place now with Delta. And so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not more help on whether or not you should go get the vaccine. I'm just right down the middle on it thinking that pray and seek God and see about it. I don't like the fact that it's not approved by the FDA. I don't like the fact that people are forced to take something that's not approved by the FDA. It seems to me like that can be challenged. It seems to me like that should be challenged in the courts and go all the way to the Supreme Court. But, you know, I, I just I just don't. Maybe it has been. Maybe it's on its way. I don't know. All right, Golden Truth, if you are, um, if you, if you are in a high-risk category, then you probably should take the vaccine. I'm not telling you to, right? I'm just saying, just using common sense, seeking God, praying, looking for direction. Um, it doesn't help that we have been lied to about COVID since the very beginning. Doesn't help at all. And, um, but we have this vaccine. I mean, we have this virus among us and it's probably here to stay at least for, for the foreseeable future and um, so we have to, to deal with it. And if, if you want to do that by being healthy, if you want to do that, and you should be, I think everybody should be as healthy as they can be. I think that with this thing going on, we should step up. You know, we should start getting physically in shape. Uh, we should lose weight. We should lower our blood pressure. Um, we should just all of those things. Uh, if, if you're a diabetic, really take care of yourself. All of those things that we can do so that when we are exposed to it, we're able to stand and fight against it. I think that we should do. And maybe take um, maybe take the vaccine. All right? 
Golden Truth. So thank you. Sorry, I don't have a, a, a little bit better answer on that. Um, I'm still kind of going through it as much as everybody else is. All right. So, um, so Jari says, can a Christian wear unmodest clothing in public, bikinis, shorts, etc.? What does the Bible say? Does an Isaiah preach naked? <laughs> yeah. Well, you threw a lot at me there. All right. Can a Christian wear unmodest clothes? The answer to that is yes. They just got to put it on and walk out the door. Are they being obedient to God when they wear unmodest clothes? The answer to that is no, they're not. So the Bible tells us, uh, specifically telling women in the New Testament that they are to dress modestly. And that, to some degree, depends on the culture, right? I mean, you could go back to the Roaring Twenties and there's a lot that wasn't modest that was expected to be modest, but you go back a few years before that and there was modesty. You go back to the time of the Romans, the Greeks, and there was a massive lack of modesty. You go back to the biblical times. There was a, a massive lack of, of modesty and that's why it's addressed where it's addressed. So you have to determine in your culture what is modest and what is not modest. And I think most of us know when we see it, when something is not modest, we know when we see it. So yeah, Christians are supposed to be modest. Um, bikinis, shorts, etc. Um, I don't want to get legalistic. I'm very careful not to get legalistic, but I do want to say dress modestly and girls especially know that what you may be doing to guys, maybe driving them crazy, maybe leading them into sin. So we want to walk in love and make sure that we do what's right. And Isaiah did preach naked, um, but that was like, I think that was more of a shocker uh, that God was trying to get their attention um, than it was some kind of an immodest thing. It was just like that guy that eats, you know, cooks over dung and eats his food over dung that as a coal is now walking around preaching naked. And so we'll get more into, um, was it Isaiah or was it Ezekiel? I can't remember which one. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it was Isaiah. But one of them, Ezekiel was the one who cooked his food over dung. So God used them to be able to get a hold of people's attention. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we are supposed to live modestly. Can a Christian be unmodest? Certainly. And, and hopefully God will convict them and speak to them about being more modest. All right. So thank you, Jari. I appreciate uh, your question. We have another question here from Amber. All right. So Amber Sky says, is having relations with your husband and wife only for procreating or is it for the intimacy as well? Is contraception against God's will? Uh, so here we have a controversial uh, topic within the church, right? And so I'm going to say there's a smaller group of people and maybe there was a larger group when, the, when Catholicism uh, really didn't believe in contraception at all, but there's a smaller group of Christians who believe that contraception is sin, that God gave the command to multiply the earth. That's the first command that was given, be fruitful and multiply. And if you're stopping that from happening, then you're in sin. Um, I do not agree with that. I think that was a command given to people in the very beginning of creation and that you can use contraception. That's me personally. All right. Um, I believe that God made sex for intimacy and for procreating and for enjoyment. And I believe it's meant for that. And I, and I think that when we, when we take it out of that realm, when we say it's just for procreating, then we leave a lot more temptation for someone, both men and women, because both men and women are tempted in these areas. Uh, Paul said, don't separate from yourself. He's talking sexually, uh, except for a little while and then come back together again because of the temptation. And, and Paul said, it's better for you to marry than burn. So you got these desires and, and is he not, he got, God's the one that came up with the idea of sex and it's great, right? And it's, God is the one who came up with it. And so we, we, in the confines of the marital bed, then it's awesome. And I think that it should be 
for intimacy and that God wants there to be intimacy. And I think that when, if you believe it's not for intimacy, it's only for procreating, you're putting a distance between you and your wife or you and your husband that God doesn't want. And so intimacy breeds more intimacy. So when you're intimate and close together, then you want to be close together. And when you cut that off and say, no, it's just for procreation, so we're done. Then you know, the intimacy in your marriage is going to wane. And there's going to be problems, struggles that the individual has. So that's what I think of it. I, um, it's a good question, one that should be asked. Um, I realize that there are some contraceptives that stop pregnancy. And so I would think about that. I would really look into that. All right. Um, something like um, a condom, which would not stop a pregnancy and other things, but would stop somebody from getting pregnant, I think would be would be better. Okay. So I believe in contraceptives. Um, I just think we should be informed and, and really know what we're doing. All right, Amber, thank you very much. I appreciate your question. All right. So we have, uh, let's see, we have a question here. I'm going to make sure I'm not missing over some. All right. All right. So we have a, a question here from Albert. Albert says, thank you. Um, thank you for your answer. Pastor, could you please share the experience you had with the man who you think may have been an angel? So yeah, I brought it up the other night in church and um, I didn't want to take time because I had a lot to cover. So I didn't want to take time to cover it. Um, but uh, me and my wife, Kathy, were on our way up to Lake Powell. I have a uh, 2004 bass boat and I have a truck. In fact, it was my older truck that I had. And we were pulling it, going to, to Lake Powell to meet with some friends there and to spend a few days on a houseboat. And as we were getting up near Flagstaff, the boat came unglued. It came unhitched. And the, the cables, because the boat has cables on it, not chains. And so as the boat would go one way, it would swing one way, it'd pull one cable tight and then snap back the other way and it would snap it back tight the other way. And so we're going, I don't know, 80 miles an hour or so down the freeway and we're on these big sweeping turns that are going into Flagstaff. And um, as I slow down, I realize what's happening. And as I slow down, it gets worse because now it's just more slop and play and it's just getting worse. And the boat is just flying all over the place behind us. And I'm not exaggerating. It's just slamming the truck around while it's going back and forth against those, those cables. And um, I'm, I'm really glad that at that moment, I said to my wife, hang on, baby. And I said, Jesus, help us, something along those lines, called out to, to God and finally pulled over to the side and stopped. And when we got out of the truck and walked back, the hitch was right underneath the hitch on the truck. The ball on the truck, which holds the, the, the top of the um, trailer that goes on it, was underneath it, directly, right where it's supposed to be, except not on it. The cables were completely disconnected. They had grinded on the ground until the bolt grinded off and then the cables were disconnected. And the wires that held the truck, you know, the lights for the trailer together had broken as well. So there was nothing holding the trailer onto the truck except nothing, except it was right where it was supposed to be. It could have flipped and went into the woods. It could have crashed into other cars. It could have ran into the back of our truck. And at that same time, a guy that was in a truck that we'd been following for about, a, I don't know, maybe a hundred miles or so had been going by us and we'd been going by him and he'd been going by us. He came back around to the back of the truck, didn't really say anything. And I was in shock. I was looking at it and I just had this, what possibly could have killed us. Cause I mean, something like that can roll the truck and I mean, it could be bad. And um, I'm just looking at, I'm kind of shocked. And he says, you got a hitch? And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, let's get it back up on the, the, the truck. So he helps me put it back on the truck again. He had a Marine tattoo, I remember. And, um, and then he was gone. And I, 
I have often said, I don't know if that guy was just there to, to watch over us at that particular point in time. So that's the time that I think it's possible that he was an angel that protected my life. It was definitely a life-threatening situation. And to me, what are, what are the odds that that trailer could end up exactly where it was supposed to be? By, with us stopping, with nothing connecting us to the trailer. Um, I see it as a God moment. Um, my wife is a witness to the whole thing. Uh, we drove down to a, uh, the Sinclair station that's there in Flagstaff, and I got went and got little bolts and stuff, and I bolted things back together again. I rewired everything up and went very slowly on to Lake Powell and was able to come back and have it all repaired. So that is my story on when I think an angel was there uh, to be able to help me and God intervening in my life. Thanks, Albert, for asking and giving me a chance uh, to be able to share that. I uh, wanna take a look at um, another question. So we have a question from Stephanie about the plagues of the firstborn in Egypt. So Stephanie says, what was the plague of death on the firstborn sons of Egypt or was the plague of death on the firstborn sons of Egypt a foreshadowing of Christ's death on the cross? Let me think about that. I, um, I've never thought about it. So firstborn's death, this would be the firstborn child who had the right and the heir of everything that would be die. Jesus is the firstborn among creation, not that he was the first one ever created, because the Bible says all things were created through him and nothing that was created was created without him. So that means he wasn't created first. That's what the Bible says, but he is the firstborn, meaning he has the position of the firstborn and he is the heir of everything. Everything belongs to him because he's the firstborn of creation. So we are co-heirs together with him. So we have inherited everything along with Christ. We have it all. There's nothing we don't have. As a believer, I love it in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says, you have everything. We are co-heirs together with Jesus Christ. And so was the death of the firstborn a foreshadowing of the death of Christ on the cross? Um, I think it's interesting. I'd like to be able to spend a little bit more time thinking about it, putting it in the old cooker and, and thinking it through. Um, but Jesus is definitely the firstborn. He definitely died in a curse, right? Anyone who's nailed to a tree is cursed. And that was a type of curse, this last plague that came through. And Jesus died for us. They, Those firstborn died so that the children of Israel would be set free from slavery. Jesus died that we would be set free from the slavery to sin. So, yeah, I, Stephanie, I think there may be something there. Um, I don't know that I want to say 100% yet, but boy, I, uh, I, I think that's really insightful and um, very, very interesting. All right. Thanks, Stephanie. So we have just a couple more minutes. So I'm going to take a look for another question uh, that's here. Um, we have a question from James. So James says, um, good afternoon, Pastor Robert. Is there a good daily devotional book that you would recommend for family? Thank you. Oh, wow. A good devotional book to, to recommend for family. Uh, I guess that would depend a little bit on the age of your children. Um, I think that some of the classics are really good. You know, Oswald Chambers or... Um, you know, some of the some of the, the devotionals that have been written. Charles Swindoll has some great devotional books that are out there. And I think that he's always really, really good. Um, I think there are some that are more that are geared more for children. Uh, so I'm have to take a look and see what more is out there. Um, I would um yeah, I would you know maybe look at some of the Charles Wendell stuff. I know these he's wrote a lot of devotional books that are there that are really good. Um, I also think that you could, James, that you could take a book of the Bible and you could go through it as the devotional for the kids. You don't have to cover every single verse, 
but go through and find, an, you know, the different accounts in the life of Jesus. You don't have to cover everything, but take each account and, and talk to the kids about it. You know, this is true and real, and here's what Jesus did, and here's what Jesus said, and you guys are having a devotion, and you're leading the family, and that could be really, really powerful. I'm not saying that having a, a book by one of these other guys that have written devotions might not be really good, because I think it can be. But I just can't think of anything off the top of my head that I would go, that would be great. And I think it would depend on the age of the children as well. But thank you very much for your question. Uh, I'm going to take a look here, see if we've got another one. I always, whenever I do this, it's like, it's the end now, we're done. Um, so I'm going to bring this in, and this will be the last one. If you guys wrote questions, I appreciate them. I will take a look at them later for the first question in future Q&As. So we have a question, Matthew 24, 16 through 25. Is this something we might experience soon? Is this before the rapture? So I'm trying to think of what is 16, 24 through 25. Um, right after this, you have the return of Jesus. So let me just go ahead and look here. Matthew 24, verse um, 16. All right, so abomination of desolation. So I'm going to start in verse 15. Uh, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, and let those who are in Jerusalem flee to the mountains. Let him who is in the housetops not go down to take anything out of the house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall there ever be. But unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Um, Then if you say, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise, show great signs and wonders and deceive, but possibly even the elect. Could be talking about the Antichrist there. See, I've told you beforehand, Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go over. Look, he is in the inner room. Do not believe it. And then it talks about the return of Christ. So, um, no, I don't believe that this is anything that's going to happen really soon for us. Let me get back to your question here. Where are we at? Where was your question at? Where am I I at? Did I erase your question? No, there we go. I got it. I found it. (laughs) All right, so your question is, is this something that might be experiencing soon? Is this before the rapture? No, it's after the rapture. So you've got the Antichrist that comes on the scene. You've got the rapture of the church. That's the next event that we can see. Maybe the Gog and Magog war, but probably not. Probably the rapture of the church. And I think it's close. And we are promised that we are going to be taken and not go through the hour of testing that's coming upon this whole earth. And we know that the tribulation period, those whole seven years are a time of Jacob's trouble and he will be saved out of it. So God's working salvation during the tribulation period for the nation of Israel. And um, he makes a treaty with many for one week. That's Daniel chapter 9. And then you have the tribulation period starts. The seals begin to be broken right there. And you have bad things that happen. But you also have this peace treaty and some good stuff that looks like the Antichrist is a good guy and good things that are going on at the same time. Then the tribulation period gets worse and worse and worse and worse until the time of great tribulation that happens after the front part is tribulation, but the, there's great tribulation after thir- uh, uh, halfway through. That's what this is talking about. That is is when, remember, the temple's been rebuilt and sacrifices have been restored. And now all of a sudden the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist puts up a statue of himself in there. And woe to them in those days. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be awful. But God is going to protect Israel supernaturally during those days and during those times. All right. So thank you very much, Golden Truth, for your question. Um, Know that's something that we see during the tribulation period, right in the middle of the tribulation period. And um, then there's this great wrath that comes down upon the earth and no flesh will remain, even as Jesus said, or flesh will become rare in those days. And for the sake of the elect, which would be Israel, uh, the days are shortened. So God does shorten the days for the sake of the elect. So thank you guys very much for joining uh, us on our Truth Quest Q&A today. Thank you for all of your questions. They were well thought out and, um, and, and really helped us to, to turn and to search the scriptures and to see what the scriptures have to say.
If you guys um, are not going, go to church this weekend. Go and fellowship with one another. Um, I'm not telling you what to do. If um, you are not going to church uh, because of health issues, then okay, I understand that. Um, but we are supposed to come together and fellowship with one another. This gives us an opportunity to do it. Hopefully, it would be done more so. Um, I'm not sure that the church today is as close as what the early church was or what God intended it. And it's something that each church should be trying to do, which is to have people draw closer together, build better relationships within the church and minister to one another. Uh, we have a church service in two hours. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, I look forward to seeing you guys there. All right. God bless you. Stay close to Jesus. I love you. I hope things uh, are going really well for you and I hope you're blessed. I'm going to sign out now. All right, guys. So we'll see you later on.